Hey there, do you love pet content and want more of it? If so, please hit the subscribe button. Your support helps keep this content free and lets me know you're enjoying the show. So please hit that subscribe button and maybe even give us a review while you're at it. Thank you. When it comes to food, some of our pets can have a tendency to be a bit exuberant. Of course, we want our pets to love their food and enjoy what they're eating, but there are some boundaries and guidelines we try to stay within as much as possible. Try being the operative word here. Dr. Evan Anton is a veterinarian and an animal lover who is always looking out for his pets. He has a dog, Henry, and three cats, Willie, Blue, and Gideon. And they are, of course, very well loved and taken care of. But like all pet parents, Dr. Anton can't always control what his pets do. I had this new bag of cat food. I got a couple bags of cat food. I put one up in a closet. I have like a little home gym thing. And I put it on the top shelf in the closet thinking, Willie for sure is not going to get that. Blue's not going to get it. I, I really, I didn't think Gideon would either. Gideon, the youngest cat. I was wrong. I was wrong. I'm almost certain it was him. A couple nights ago, I walk in the house. Henry's abdomen is super dilated, like concerningly dilated and really hard. And I'm like, what the heck is going on? As a veterinarian and a pet parent, Dr. Anton was quickly able to see that something was not right, but he needed to find out the root of the issue. Was it medical? Was it environmental? So he began investigating what could have happened to cause Henry's abdomen to dilate in this way. He just looked like that, but he wasn't acting sick. He didn't seem painful. He still wanted food. I didn't see any vomiting or, or diarrhea at that point. I let him outside. He comes back in. Then he goes sauntering into that gym. And I'm like, you never go in there. So I'm just, I'm not going to, I'm just going to watch you and see what's going on. And I walk into the closet and there's this bag of cat food that has a hole chewed into it on the ground. And he was just chowing down on that because I was in, out in my garage and I was like, oh, son of a gun. And so then he ended up, he did have diarrhea. It was a whole thing for a couple of days. Luckily for Henry and Dr. Anton, Henry's intestinal issues were able to run their course without medical intervention. But this kind of digestion issue is not uncommon. And I've seen a few patients like that where they come in with severe food bloat and, the, you know, pet parents, they don't realize they've gotten into food or something like that. And they think something's really serious going on. And so, you know, we do our exam. We see this big full abdomen like, OK, this is a little concerning. You know, maybe let's, let's get an x-ray. Let's you know see if we can see something going on in there. But yeah, for the most part, yeah, we just they're going to digest it. We just kind of let them do that. We might give them some fluids and some supportive care just to make their GI tract a little more comfortable. But it's really just time. And that's what Henry needed. Understanding what your pet needs can be difficult, especially when it comes to their diet. We want to make sure our pets are eating the right things in the proper amounts that are healthy and nutritious. But where should we start? And how do we know if our pets need something different than what we're feeding them? After the break, Dr. Anton and I discuss the importance of digestive health in our pets and what we as pet parents should do to understand and implement a great diet. Stay with us. Do you have a very good boy or girl who you want to reward with some special treats? If so, look no further than Blue Nudge's chicken jerky. My dog Teddy goes absolutely crazy for them. And can you blame him? They are slow, oven-dried, easy to tear, and packed with protein. And these tender treats are made with real USA chicken. With no artificial flavors or preservatives, Blue Nudge's jerky cuts are a healthy way to celebrate everyday moments. 
Get them wherever you buy treats. And if you haven't yet, download the Buddies app to earn rewards and connect with other pet parents like you. As pet parents, we are constantly thinking about our pets, how to keep them healthy. What should we be doing? What should we be feeding them? How should we be exercising them? All of these questions run through our heads. But from your perspective, what are some of the things that pet parents should be keeping an eye out for, should be watching for, and should be doing to keep their pets healthy? Yeah, I mean, I think a big part of that is just keeping an eye out for things that are out of the ordinary. Mm-hmm. If they're having changes in their weight, for example, you know, it's, it's good to keep an eye on that. And it's, it sneaks up on people. Just like it does in, on, in people themselves, but also, you know, sneaks up on people's pets because it's usually gradual change and they don't realize that their pet is gaining weight. But it's a common issue we see. And a lot of that has to do with overfeeding and too many treats and not enough exercise. And just like in humans, I always recommend people get skills where they can weigh their pets more often than the once a year veterinary exam visit that, that we recommend for most pets. Try to keep tabs on that. And make sure we're not trending in one direction or another. And, and same with weight loss. You know, it can people don't realize that their pets are losing so much weight. And that can often be even, you know, bigger concerns than with the weight gain, depending on the causes of the weight loss. Yeah, that's my story. My dog, Ozzy, is losing weight. And we were just like, like, we took him for his annual and he had lost like three pounds. And he's, he only weighs like 18 pounds. So three pounds is a lot of weight for my dog. So we're like, geez, what, what's going on? So like switching up his diet, getting him to eat more. It's, it's been a whole process. So yeah, I feel that for sure. Right. Yeah. Looking for those subtle changes, that's a place to start. And a good diet is going to be different for every pet. Again, I always relate it to people because I feel like that's where it can be more relatable for pet parents. But just like people, every pet's going to have, you know, slightly different dietary needs. I mean, a lot of pets can, can do great on the same diet, but for some individuals, we want to accommodate to them specifically, whether it's a, a lower calorie option because they are maybe older and less active, or uh, if they're in a dry environment and they, you know, we want to incorporate a little bit more omega fatty acids and, and make sure their their skin and fur coat is, is adequately, you know, lubricated and hydrated. There's a lot of variables that play into it, but diet, of course, is a big one. How and when should pet parents be thinking about making dietary changes like weight loss? That's, that's a big one. What are some of the other kind of triggers or symptoms that pet parents might be on the lookout for to indicate, okay, maybe we should switch up the diet? Stool is a big one. <laughs> and so look at seeing your pet's stool. Like, I mean, that's, that, that really could, should tell you a lot and can tell you a lot. So for a lot of our pet parents, they were just having, you know, like a chronic soft stool or if it is just full on diarrhea. You know, those are things to look for too. If your pet's just struggling when they're going to the bathroom, that could be a sign of also hydration. And that's something we want to be within kind of a normal, uh, a normal range of texture and consistency and visual appearance and everything. And when we start veering outside of that, it might be a sign that, hey, you know, maybe, maybe we should try a different food. Even if your dog's eating it okay and appears to enjoy it, their GI tract might not be the biggest fan of it. And there might be reasons and it's not, you know, a good diet for them. Let's talk about what an ideal diet does look like. What should pet parents be looking for in their pet's diets? What nutrients do pets need? What kinds of vitamins, you know, how, how should, should they be supplementing? Like what are, what are some of the things that you recommend or that you look for for your own pets when you're thinking about nutrition and diet? Yeah, no, that's a great question. So with dogs, you know, they're monogastrics. Their GI tract is classified as a monogastric, meaning they just have one stomach 
and a relatively uh, simple GI tract. I say relative because I'm, you know, as a veterinarian, we also we talk about, you know, uh, you know, certain herbivores with like horses or guinea pigs or cattle that have much more complicated GI tracts based on on their diets, which are very very different. So relatively simple GI tract monogastrics, and they just need well balanced nutrition. They need pretty much pretty much all the same vitamins and minerals we do in their diet on a regular basis and a good healthy breakdown of our macronutrients, which are our proteins, carbohydrates, and fats. And so every individual dog's a little bit different and they're going to need, you know, maybe uh, with our older pets, we want to have a little bit less carbohydrates and a little bit lower calorie diet because they're less active. And I reference that because I've got my nearly 16-year-old cat on one side and my nearly 15-year-old dog on the other side. They're not the most active animals. So that's something that needs to be accommodated for. And when it comes to these, like when it comes to over-the-counter, you know, dog foods you can buy, pretty much all of them, you know, they have to be approved these days by AFCO. And AFCO is like, it's not FDA, it's not like a federal thing, but it's like this certification where it just says, hey, yeah, we have sufficient, all the macro and micronutrients, all this, you know, sufficient levels of vitamins and minerals that these animals need in order to function and for your average, you know, relatively healthy pet to function and and, and be healthy on a day-to-day basis. And so well-balanced nutrition is, is a big key to that. I mentioned before, my dog is like a grazer. You know, he put food down and he, he eats it all up. Doesn't do that. And he had food sensitivities. So we had to put him on a chicken-free diet, which is harder than you think because there's so many foods that have chicken in it. Yeah, probably the most common. So I know a lot of pet parents have animals that have certain sensitivities. How do you deal with those? Like what what would your advice be to people in those kinds of unique situations where either they have a, a food sensitivity or they their eating habits are a little bit different than the typical pet. Right, right. And it, and it seems like you can categorize dogs like that. They're either these grazers like what you described, or they're like Henry, who is extremely food motivated. I mean, he's so food motivated, I don't even have to put a pill in a pill pocket. <laughs> you know, he, he just thinks anything that I hand him that could be edible he just, he houses it down without even <laughs> thinking about it. It's hilarious, but and very helpful in, in terms of giving medication, but also he's just hungry, you know, constantly. So it's like, there's, there's pros and cons to both those kinds of like, you know, eating styles or eating habits, if you will. Yeah. So with food sensitivities, a lot of dogs do have them too. Certain foods just don't agree with their GI tract. And we do see like the chronic soft stool, for example, that's one of the most common clinical signs I see with food sensitivities. A lot of pets benefit from something with limited ingredients where they have the sufficient vitamins and minerals and all the sufficient, you know, dietary needs are met, but there's just not as many ingredients because we want to kind of keep it simple for them. I mean, for example, like the, the Blue Basics line, right? That line, it's, uh, it's, it's a limited ingredient diet. It's over the counter. It's not a veterinary prescription diet. And they also, um, they don't have a lot of the common food sensitivity foods in there. So like that would be beef and dairy and chicken and uh, a couple other things that aren't included in those diets. And they're single source animal protein. For a lot of pets, they benefit from that too. Just having one kind of animal protein in there, focused on that and a protein that's not going to cause, uh, you know, the, the sensitivities for a lot of these pets. With their GI tracts, again, just like in people, some people just have sensitivities and certain foods don't agree with them, and they need to kind of stay away from those things for for different reasons. And the same thing kind of happens in our pets. So finding that right diet for them is going to uh, it's going to make everybody happier day to day. They're going to have more, more you know better form stools, 
Uh, hopefully they enjoy that diet and it just, make, just makes everybody's life a little bit easier and, and keeps their GI tract a bit happier too. Yeah, definitely. Is there anything that like you should never do? Like what should a pet parent for sure avoid feeding their pet? I think we all know chocolate, not great for pets. Onions you hear shouldn't be given to pets. But anything more like out of the ordinary that you've seen cause problems? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, grapes is an interesting one. Grapes and raisins. So a lot of the food toxins for pets are dose dependent, meaning if you eat more, they get sicker. Grapes and raisins are one of those where it's not a dose dependent toxin. And one grape can be every bit as dangerous as a whole bundle of grapes wow. or a whole box of raisins versus one raisin. You know, and it's, it's a unique toxin that causes you know, irreversible kidney failure. And for pets that do, if they are affected by grapes, it can be fatal. Now, the inter another interesting thing about this toxin is a lot of dogs can eat grapes and raisins fine. Right. And it's not an issue whatsoever. And I'll tell you the truth. I didn't know this growing up. I mean, I learned this um, when I was working at a, as a veterinary assistant before vet school and college. And we had a dog growing up that we were so, you know, we were so lucky that it did not have any grape insensitivity or uh, raisin insensitivity. And I remember... <laughs> My mom giving him grapes every so often and he loved them and nothing happened and everything was fine. But uh, yeah, it's, it's a scary thing and we take it very seriously. And whether or not your dog is affected by them, we always treat it as a medical emergency. We want to get, you know, we want to induce vomiting and flush out the system and de decontaminate them, you know, decontaminate a pet that's consumed a grape uh, because of the severity of the disease. And because, again, it's not dose dependent. But um, yeah, you mentioned onions. Garlic is another one. Both those can cause something called Heinz body anemia, where they're, they're basically, you know, having a, a negative effect on our red blood cell, on their red blood cells. Uh, macadamia nuts is another common one. You know, even things like um, high fat animal products, particularly meats. So like a fatty steak, like a ribeye or a pork chop that has a lot of fat on it. It's not toxic. However, this can cause something called pancreatitis. And the pancreas, it's really inflamed and it causes severe GI issues. So a lot of times, I mean, the, the, the top common things we see with pancreatitis would be like abdominal pain and discomfort, anorexia, meaning they're not eating, vomiting, and often diarrhea. And it, it's following high fat meat that they've consumed. So like a lot of people, they love to give, you know, their, their pet like a little cut off piece of their steak, you know, especially if it's over the holidays and they got a Christmas ham or whatever it is. And then they come in and the pet's just feeling real crummy. Uh, it could be just from that. Again, not a toxin, but not agreeable with them. They just do not tolerate that kind of high fat content super well. But uh, I mean, I'd say those are some of the big common ones. You mentioned the chocolate, the onions, yeah, grapes, raisins, garlic, like I said, macadamia nuts. Then there's a lot of houseplants too, which aren't like common foods, but pets like to chew on things. And some of those can be extremely toxic, like lilies, for example, and cats can cause severe uh, kidney disease because severe kidney failure. That's a really scary one. And then another one, I mean, some, I don't, th I think they, uh, with ethylene glycol or antifreeze, it's um, obviously not a common food, but it, it used to be really sweet. I don't, th I think they formulated it to make it not as tasty because they were having problems with like children also consuming it. Yes, I had heard the taste. It was so sweet that kids, pets would drink it. Yeah, it just tasted like a sweet drink. I guess it's kind of just tastes kind of sugary and nice and sweet. Yeah, I mean, people have been poisoned with antifreeze. You see that kind of stuff on like Dateline kind of shows too. Like, because <laughs> yeah. they don't realize it. You get antifreeze put in your coffee or something. 
but uh, yeah, that's a really scary one too. Then, then pets, you know, they don't know any better and they think it just tastes yummy. So those, those are a few of the things to watch out for. And there's, there's a long list of many other uh, toxins, but those are some of the common ones we see. And like going into the holidays, you know, a lot of recipes do have garlic and onions. People make fruit salads or they make desserts that have chocolate or raisins or a combination of these things, you know. And you, you kind of bring it up because we all know we shouldn't be feeding our pets from the table, but it's hard. You know, you see the dog, the cat. You see that face. You see those eyes. You see the face. You get. You give in. Like I, my dog, Ozzy, loves cheese. We have cheese o'clock. He gets some cheese from me. So I, I want to get your perspective on when is that okay? When is that not okay? How much is okay? Like, what's the line there? Because I think most people want to say never, but like we just said, it's hard. You see those eyes and you're like, you just want to give in a little bit. It is. I mean, as a vet, I should say never, right? And I, I try to recommend, you know, just never starting with that whole feeding table scraps thing mm-hmm. because you're starting a bad cycle. I mean, not a bad cycle, but you're, I mean, it's going to be a thing. Your pet's going to be begging you at every meal. I mean, they, they realize, oh my God, that tastes amazing. That's new. That's fun. I want it. And every time you eat, they're going to be at your side. And I, unfortunately, I have cultivated that in pretty much all my pets too. So yeah, if you're in a situation where you just have to give your pets a little something, my recommendation is always keeping it on the lean side and keeping it on the unseasoned side. So for example, if I'm making like a deli sandwich or something, say you're making a turkey sandwich at home, if you want to feed a little bit of lean turkey, assuming your pet doesn't have any dietary intolerances to it, that's pretty safe. You know, not like a highly seasoned one, but just like a basic, that kind of a thing. Or if you are making yourself some kind of a, um, you know, chicken dish or something at home, if you want to give them some, give it, give them some of that that doesn't have all the seasoning and all the stuff on it. Cause that can, that can cause, you know, GI upset. It's not necessarily toxic. But it can cause GI upset because their GI tracts aren't used to the different butters and the flavors and the spices and the seasoning and whatnot. So try to stay away from that if you're feeding, you know, same with vegetables. I think vegetables are another really great option. I mean, baby peeled carrots are one of my favorite recommendations for people to give to their dogs because they're really safe. They're really low calorie. Not all, but most dogs do like them and eat them. And they actually can help slow down the progression of dental disease. So that chewing, that mechanical action, chewing on the carrot is like, it's not the same, but it's almost kind of in line with like brushing the teeth. It helps kind of scrape some of that stuff off the teeth. And that's that's the most effective way to slow down dental disease is the brushing itself, not the toothpaste or certainly not any of those water additives or foams or mouthwashes or whatever. Those are kind of BS in the pet world, but it's that brushing. And a baby peeled carrot can be like a on the way towards a brushing, not quite as good, but but it's a great option. So other, other like, you know, unseasoned vegetables. So, so like green beans are another good option. And a lot of times I make Henry's food at home and I add broccoli into his food. Be careful with broccoli. Uh, it's totally, you know, pets, most pets like it or pets, most dogs like it and tolerate it well. And same with cauliflower, but it can cause a lot of gas in your pets. So that's why I like the green beans, peas, and of course the baby peeled carrots, good, clean, lean vegetables. I try not to add, you know, give them a bunch of carbs, like different breads and things like that, and sweets and baked goods. Uh, they're just high fat. They're digested as simple sugar. And just like in people, they don't need to be eating any more of that, you know. I mean, they get they get sufficient carbohydrates in their diet, but especially for our older or less active dogs, they don't need any more carbs day to day. So a cheese is another one. A lot of dogs love cheese and tolerate it really well. And little pieces of cheese are fine. It's high in fat, which is fine. 
you know, compared to like a pork chop, that they t- again they tolerate cheese better than like the the meaty, the fatty meats, and a time protein, and so little bits of that here and there, and just feed little little bits at a time. And for people that live at home, because this is a common thing I see in practice, is you know like a busy household where like a lot of people live at home, or maybe grandma or grandpa lives at home too, and they just love giving you know Fido treats, and that's how they share their love with these pets and whatever, uh, and they're getting chubby, so. If you live in that situation, just make up the difference with their dog food. You know somebody's feeding this pet, you know, maybe a meal's worth of all the different, you know, little scraps and treats by the end of the day. So make up the difference when you are feeding the actual dog food, you know, and feed a little bit less every time, maybe 25% less or maybe even 50% less if these people are feeding a lot. Uh, but just to accommodate for that, that total, just again, just like in people, Every day it's calories in and calories out. That's like one of the most fundamental aspects of maintaining a healthy weight. Obesity and overweight is a common problem in our pets. And so accommodating for, for when they are getting a lot of other food in other places is really important to help curtail that. My dog Teddy is going through something right now. What is it, you ask? It's the true blue effect, which is all the benefits your dog could experience from the key ingredients in blue life protection formula. I'm talking healthy coat, strong bones, muscle development, immune system health, great digestion, strong joints, and lots and lots of energy. Try the blue life protection formula now and see if your dog benefits from the true blue effect. You know, we we talked about being in tune with our dog's weight, stool, that kind of stuff. But our dogs, our cats, our pets, they can't talk to us. They can't tell us what's bothering them, if they have a tummy ache, all that kind of stuff. So when should a pet parent intervene? Like what are the signs that would trigger, all right, we need to do something. We need to take the the animal to see the vet. When your dog or cat eats too much, like your, yours did, and you see your Pet has a huge belly. What do you do? <laughs> yeah. When it comes to GI health, I think there's a few common clinical signs to look out for. Any illness can cause like lethargy or acting a little different or hiding or being less social or less excited when you come home, less enthusiasm for walks, things like that. So if you're seeing that, that could be related to anything. Uh, but more GI tract specific clinical signs to look for is if they're less enthusiastic to eat their food. Or maybe they're passing up on meals, especially if that's unusual. Like if Henry passes up on a meal, that's a big red flag. Like something is up. Like even if he is a little bit sick, he still wants to eat. So if he's just not eating a meal, like my, like uh, I'm, I'm probably going to look into that right away because that's just so unusual for him. And of course, if you're seeing other things like vomiting, consistent vomiting or vomiting multiple times a day, pets are kind of like kids, like little kids, like they might vomit every couple months, you know, and if it's a one-off thing and they're acting totally normal and eating fine and their stools are normal, I'm not probably going to be too stressed about it. But if we're seeing it multiple times a week or multiple times a day, in addition to being lethargic or changes in their appetite, that might be more concerning. And then of course, like what we've talked about a couple times is how's their stool look? Is their stool kind of runny? Is it changing in its consistency in a new way? These are all things that, you know, I, I want pet parents keeping their eyes on. And if we're seeing this um, or a combination of these things, yeah, it's time to get, at least give your vet, vet a call and maybe schedule an appointment, have them looked at. And we'd want to look into some things, do a good physical exam, potentially fecal analysis. With these clinical signs, a lot of other things outside the GI tract can cause uh, these clinical signs, changes in appetite, vomiting, diarrhea, and it could be co- totally different body system, could be related to the kidneys could be related to really a lot of other things. So 
that's where you might want to start looking into it and consulting with your veterinarian and pursuing other diagnostics. Again, a fecal, maybe x-rays, maybe some blood work, maybe a pancreatitis panel. Those are all possibilities, you know. Awesome. I think this has been so helpful. I want to talk a little bit just about you personally. How did you fall in love with animals? What led you to this path that you're on? Yeah, sure. So I've never not had animals in my life. Uh, you know, other than uh, I mentioned I studied abroad. So I did study abroad twice in undergrad. When I was living abroad, I didn't have pets like living with me. But I mean, when I was born, there was a cat and a dog at home, you know, already there waiting for me. I always had at least one cat and dog my entire life. And so that human animal bond to me is I just I get so much value from it. I love having my little friends at home. I uh, I lived alone most of my adult life and like I never felt like I did because I always had buddies, you know, waiting, waiting at home for me and living at home with me. And that to me means so much. Um, I also I really love working with wildlife. Like one of my biggest passions is just since I was a little like my earliest memories are me looking for my native wildlife where I grew up in Kansas. There was a creek in my backyard and I'd be looking for snakes and turtles and flipping rocks and looking for insects and all kinds of cool stuff. So the natural world is something that's very special to me. And being a veterinarian and, and working with wildlife also is, is really, you know, something I take a lot of pride in and just take a lot of pleasure out of. And it's, it's a way I can like kind of give back to wild, wildlife and animals that, you know, they've always brought me so much happiness and, and excitement and passion over the years. So I can kind of give back to them being a, a veterinarian that works with them. And so I do, I, I'm very lucky. I get to travel a uh, pretty regular basis to work with wildlife around the world. And uh, I'm just kind of a a big adult version of who I was as a kid. And now instead of just going in my backyard looking for wildlife, you know, I like to find them in their native habitats around the world, whether it's, you know, South Africa or Cambodia or Brazil or whatever, you know, and I get to work with these animals too, which is super fun. Yeah, I've seen your Instagram and it makes me very jealous every time you're abroad and you're in a different locale with all these different kinds of animals. Yeah, I just wish I was there too. Yeah, I know, I'm very lucky. But that's very cool. And I did see that you met one of my personal heroes, Jane Goodall, and I just want to get some some information. What was that like? Just personally, I really want to know. How was Jane Goodall? <laughs> she is everything you would want Jane Goodall to be. She is so sweet. And she's, I admire her so much and have like my whole life too, right? I mean, she's just, she's one of the biggest forces in the history of the world when it comes to wildlife conservation. I mean, arguably the biggest, right? I mean, she's just, she just does so much and she's still so active and she's like, she's 88, you know, and she is still killing it. And she's so busy and doing so much and raising so much awareness and connecting with so many people and so many children around the world. And yeah, getting to spend some time with her was super, super special. I love that. So two more quick things before I let you go. Number one, are there any resources that you would want to point pet parents to either for GI track information other just pet parent resources or organizations that you're involved with that you would want to point people to? Yeah, I mean, you know, we talked about some of these diets. I'm collaborating with Blue Buffalo. So, I mean, bluebuffalo.com, they've got a lot of great resources when it comes to their their diets. And then, you know, the couple of the diets that I'm really focused on with my partnership with them is the Blue Basics, which we talked about. That's that limited ingredient, single animal protein diet. Another one that, that does also benefit a lot of dogs in terms of their GI health is their Blue uh, Buffalo uh, True Solutions blissful belly. And this diet is also a great well-rounded diet. It also has prebiotic fiber. And so this aids in digestion and that it kind of promotes healthy gut flora. And the gut flora, the microbiome, or basically the bacteria living in our GI tracts is incredibly important 
for GI health and and body systems, you know, outside the GI tract. It, it, it's highly involved in brain function and other parts of the body. So, um, yeah, you can scope them out, of course, on the Blue Buffalo website. And then uh, they're on Instagram. You can follow their work there. And, and those are great resources to look into uh, potential diets. If you are concerned about your pet's, you know, diet and you think they need, they, they're not on their best diet right now. Awesome. And then the final question is, if you could be any animal in the world, what would you choose to be? Oh, man. I've been asked that. And I just, I don't have like... <laughs> <laughs> I, that's such a hard question, but I, I guess I always revert back to like, uh, I don't know, I've seen so many different cool animals in my travels. And when you see, and we can, for a lot of us, we can see this in our own backyard. When you see a big raptor, like a big bird of prey, just kind of soaring the skies, just arms out and just flying, like how cool does that, how cool does that look? I mean, that, that, that would just be amazing. I would love to do that for a day or maybe longer, but yeah, I'd say bird of prey right now. Awesome. You've been listening to Life with Pets, the show that combines real pet stories with proven guidance from pet professionals. I'm your host, Hillary Georgie, and I hope this show has been a great resource for you as a pet parent. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe, rate, and review the show on your favorite podcast platform. And don't forget to download the Buddies app. This episode was produced by the team at mission.org. Mission.org.